Good morning. Thank you, everyone, for coming out on a Saturday morning. When I walked in with Randy, he was, he was shocked that so many people came out on a Saturday morning. And uh, well worth it, it is. Thank you. And, and welcome to Riverstone Church for anyone who's maybe visiting and was brought here by a Riverstone member or attendee. My name is Austin Delgado. I'm the pastor of outreach here at Riverstone. And uh, let's start off by giving a big thank you to our service team responsible for setting everything up. Thank you. Not you, Tom. Not you, Tom. Thank you. Welcome back, Pastor Tom from uh, Israel. Welcome back. Yeah. Look forward to hearing stories about your time out there. So uh, again, welcome to Riverstone Church. If you have been attending our church for some time, if you're, whether you're a member of our church, if you've been attending uh, for at least the last few months or so, you would have picked up on our, our vision over the course of the next two to five years. So our mission at Riverstone Church is to advance the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And we've also casted a, a vision statement for the next two to five years for, uh, for our church. Uh, strengthening evangelism and discipleship to mature disciples and multiply churches. Uh, an emphasis of our focus over the next two to five years to see our, our, the mission of our church realized uh, more and more. And so, uh, as you've seen over the course of the last 12 to 18 months, we've offered several evangelism trainings, whether they be in whether they were in small group platforms, larger group on uh, uh, group ministries, men's and women's ministries. We've done some trainings uh, Sunday mornings during our crosstalk seminars, and today is a very special day because we have a special guest, Randy Newman with us to minister alongside us in, in strengthening our evangelism and discipleship strategies. So uh, before we welcome Randy up here and I introduce him, I just wanted to, uh, to give you a couple brief announcements, things to expect for this morning. So quick layout of this morning. We're going to have two sessions, okay, with a break in the middle. Um, each one will be about 45 minutes to an hour. We're going to start with evangelism for non-evangelists, and then we're going to have about a half-hour break, so I'll let you know when we'll start the second one after Randy's done with the first. And then the second one will be bringing the gospel home, witnessing to friends, family, and those closest to us. So we're very grateful to have Randy here with us and, um, and helping equip and encourage us specifically in these, in these two areas. Um, now, for the sake of time this morning, we're not going to have any question and answer, period. Uh, Randy mentioned that at the end of his second one, there may be a little bit of time left where he'll come down and, and be able to engage anyone who may have some questions afterward. But otherwise, we're, we're around. Uh, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, ask any one of us if there's any follow-up questions. We'll be around to, uh, to, to help guide or, or answer any of them. And then lastly, we have some books here uh, written by Randy. And so two of them uh, we, are, we are selling in our book booth today and tomorrow as well. I mean, they'll, they'll be in there if they're not sold out already, uh, if they're not sold out by the end of tomorrow. And if they are, we can just take your name on a list and, and we'll make sure that we have 
we have that for you. Again, we don't make any, uh, any profit off of selling these. We give them to you at, at cost because we, we just want to resource our church body as best we can. Uh, two books here, one, Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did, and uh, Bringing the Gospel Home. So if you want some further education and, and, and equipping um, after Randy's session on Bringing the Gospel Home, I would encourage you to check out his books. Now, he also brought some books with him that, that I wasn't aware of. He said that one of his new books, Unlikely Converts, Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism. Uh, these are also uh, for sale. These are $10 out in the book booth. Engaging with Jewish people, understanding their world, sharing good news, and engaging with Hindus. Randy did not write this, but a friend of his did, and uh, published by the same publisher. So these are all available in the book booth uh, during the break and after the, uh, the second session and for tomorrow as well. So let's start by uh, saying a word of prayer, and then I'll introduce Randy. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your steadfast love endures forever and that you have set your special love upon us and called us out of, the, out of darkness and into your marvelous light, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That we may proclaim you, O oh God. Fill us today with a love for you. Fill us with the love of Christ. Fill us with your spirit, O oh God, that you would encourage us, equip us. Thank you for sending Randy here with us. Thank you for the ways that you have developed him over the years to be able to minister to and equip your saints and send us out today, Father, as, as uh, passionate agents of, of peace and reconciliation in the world, make, seeking to, to make your name known both near and far. Father, build us up today that you would get the glory and honor in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Randy Newman is the Senior Teaching Fellow for Apologetics and Evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. area. He has taught at several evangelical seminaries and is currently an adjunct faculty at Reformed Theological Seminary and Patrick Henry College. After serving for over 30 years with Campus Crusade for Christ, now Crew, he established Connection Points, a ministry to help Christians engage people's hearts the way Jesus did. He's written several books and numerous articles about evangelism and other ways our lives intertwine with God's creation. He and his wife Pam live in Annandale, Virginia, and have three grown sons, two delightful daughters-in-law, and two stunningly adorable granddaughters. <laughs> Amen. Please join me in welcoming Randy Newman. Thanks, man. Thanks. Well, it is, ooh, it's loud is what it is. It's a delight to be with you, and a loud delight. Well, this is good because in case the coffee I had this morning hadn't been working, the, the sound system just woke me up. That's great. Great to be with you. Um, I, I really am thrilled and um, 
so encouraged that so many of you came out on a Saturday morning to learn how we can tell people the good news of the gospel. I, I, I continue to be, I guess the word is amused that God keeps using me in this area because I'm an evangelistic chicken. I'm not one of those bold evangelists who always gets on airplanes and witnesses to the person next to them. Now, maybe you are one of those people. No, uh, you wouldn't be at a seminar on how to do evangelism if you were one of those bold evangelists, or at least you wouldn't be on time. You'd be out uh, on the street corner witnessing. And so um, I have a feeling I'm among uh, fellow evangelistic chickens. Uh, I worked for over 30 years with Campus Crusade, a very evangelistic organization started by a very, very bold evangelist, Bill Bright. And all of the speakers we ever had at our national conferences were always these extroverts who like to talk to people. <clears throat> I like to hide in my basement with my books. Um, we had speakers that always talked about how easy it was to witness, how natural it was, how everyday it was. They couldn't imagine not evangelizing. I remember sitting there, I, I can imagine it vividly. <laughs> I remember one speaker just looked real pained. He, he said, I cannot go to sleep at night until I have witnessed each day. I thought, I'm sleeping just fine, buddy. I don't know. <laughs> they got medication for that kind of stuff. I don't you know. What's the problem? As will as we'll surface, uh, we'll come to the surface many times in the course of uh, uh, the, our day today is uh, I come also from a Jewish background. I've come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah from a Jewish background. And because of my Jewish background, I tend to be skeptical and perhaps pessimistic. If you think about our history, you can understand why. <laughs> okay, I thought that was funny. You didn't. All right. So, um, <laughs> uh, but, but so, so my approach to evangelism is always as a very much reluctant evangelist. In fact, when I, when I left Campus Crusade and started working with the C.S. Lewis Institute, they asked me what title I wanted, and I, I suggested evangelistic chicken, and they didn't think that would look good on the business card. And so then I, I thought C.S. Lewis called himself um, the most reluctant convert. And so, so could, could I be the most reluctant evangelist? I was very excited about this. They, they said no. Um, they, they didn't even think about it for very long, and so my title is um, Senior Teaching Fellow. <laughs> See, I can't even say that with a straight face. Oh, my. <clears throat> so so I, I, I'm hoping that that's encouraging to you, that I'm a fellow struggler in this task. Um, but I've been at it long enough, and I have studied evangelism long enough to know that, that God uses the most unlikely of evangelists. He really does. Um, he certainly does use those bold evangelists, those ones who cannot imagine not evangelize. He does. But that's a very, very small percentage of the Christian church. Um, I, I think the vast, vast, vast majority of believers are not evangelists or not called primarily to be evangelists. And yet, God has called all of us to be his witnesses. God has called all of us to do the work of an evangelist, as Paul told Timothy. Timothy, who, by the way, was a very shy and timid young man. And so um, uh, we, we, we shouldn't be uh, intimidated by this process other than to say, Lord, would you use me no matter who I am, and would you use me no matter how you're working? And so that's my goal, my prayer for today, is that you will be encouraged that God can use even you um, in this supernatural process of evangelism. If you think about it, evangelism occurs at this intersection of the, the, the human, the natural, the normal, the everyday, the interpersonal, and the supernatural. 
And so we ask questions and we explain and we try to share our own experiences and we struggle with finding what the right word is. And yet God is doing the absolute miraculous of raising the dead, opening up blind eyes, softening hardened hearts. And so we step into this process thinking, okay, I want to do everything that I can, but I am praying, Lord, would you work in absolutely amazing ways so that um, this person can be set free from darkness and brought into light. So um, let's take a moment. I know we've opened in prayer, but I want to give you a moment. I want you to, to, to try to think and perhaps even jot down, um, who are the non-believers that are now in your life that God has sovereignly placed there? Now, uh, some of you, many of you will, will immediately think of family members, and we'll address family in the next uh, session. But uh, uh, in addition to family, who, who are the non-Christians that God has placed around you? maybe in your neighborhood or at your workplace or some other place. So just take a minute and jot down their names, and uh, we're going to pray for them. But I want you to, to, to think ahead of that, ahead of that. And, and uh, now I want you to think of um, how can you regularly, regularly pray for these people? Maybe you already have a system where you are, but maybe not. Uh, I find, for me, whatever system I come up with for prayer, I need to revamp it every so often. Um, and so I just recently came up with a new system of jotting down uh, people's names on cards and, and uh, going through the cards in a kind of regular systematic way, but that's a new system for me because I just, I need to keep, so take a moment to think, when can I pray for these people on a consistent basis? Maybe it's while driving to work, hopefully with your eyes open, by the way, please. I probably shouldn't have suggested that. Um, So take a moment just to kind of think of how can I weave this into my life on a regular basis where I'm praying for these people? And now let me pray again. Father, thank you for these people that you've placed in our lives. It's it's no accident that they live in the house next door or that uh, their kid plays on the same soccer field with our kid or that they sit at the desk next to me at work. Um, Would you work in their hearts to draw them to yourself? Would would you make them uh, dissatisfied with life as they have it now without you, apart from you? Uh, would you draw them in? And then would you work in our hearts? Would you give us compassion for them? Would you regularly remind us to uh, pray for them? And would you give us boldness far beyond our natural personality um, and to start the process of talking to them about things that make a difference for all eternity? Please use us this time this morning toward that end, that more and more people will hear the gospel and more and more people will be drawn to you. We pray in our Savior's name.
So most of us are not evangelists. Wait, it gets worse. Um, uh, more and more people today are uh, further and further away from the gospel. It's getting more and more difficult. More and more people today are thinking that our gospel message is absurd. And uh, so um, all the more reason that we need to pray and ask God to work. Here's how I like to illustrate it. When my oldest son, who's now um, 35 years old, but when, so 20 years ago, when he was in high school, he came home one day with this theory about how everything works, everything. He said, Dad, I have a theory that explains everything, politics, history, military strategy, everything. I call it the plug theory. Plug theory says that every country has somewhere near its geographic center a big plug holding it up. If you could somehow pull the plug, the country would sink. And so it's in the country's absolute highest priority to protect its plug. Some of you are looking way too serious. It's a joke. Um, some of you even jotted down plug theory, and now you're crossing it. Um, um, our, our plug is somewhere in the middle of Kansas, Dan uh, surmised, um, probably within the confines of the military base at Fort Leavenworth, which is why at the penitentiary, Leavenworth Penitentiary, the security is so extra tight because it's so close to the plug. Um, Switzerland's plug is probably the most secure in all the wa world, high atop uh, the Swiss Alps underneath snow, which is why Switzerland has been neutral in so many wars. <laughs> what do they got? No one's going to pull their plug. Um, the lost colony of Atlantis didn't guard its plug very well. And, and in fact, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worldwide conspiracy to deny the very existence of the plugs. Leaders of the world are sworn to never even acknowledge it. So the fact that you've never heard this theory is proof that it's true. Some of you are now praying for my son, Dan, and I appreciate that very much. Um, but so why am I telling this silly story? Because you don't believe it. I mean, you just think it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's implausible. Now, suppose I told you, no, 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 really, it's true. Let me tell you. And I started telling you why I believe it and the reasons why. Would you be more likely to believe it or more likely to feel sorry for me? That's where our world is today. Really? You're telling me some guy, how many years ago, died and then came back to life? And he's coming again? And because of this, you are going to plug theory. I mean, they're, they're thinking we're lunatics. Now, again, I want to remind you, uh, it's a supernatural process of people coming to faith. And so regardless of all of the obstacles, nothing is too difficult for God. But it does mean that our approach to evangelism today probably has to be different than what we might have done 10 years ago, 50 years ago. A lot of evangelism strategies were formulated in our country 50 years ago when our culture, our world was very, very different. The gospel hasn't changed, but our approach to communicating it probably needs to change. And if some of you are resistant to this, let me remind you, Jesus spoke differently to different people right? Jesus spoke very differently to a very religious Jewish leader, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, than he talked to a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Paul's preaching in Acts 13 to a synagogue was very different than Paul's preaching in Acts 17 in Athens to a secular philosophical crowd. And so our task today is to think, how do we communicate the timeless, changeless gospel message to a world that's changing pretty much by the minute around us. And so what we need, I think, is more of an approach of conversation rather than presentation. 
presentation of the gospel is very, very important, but there are a whole lot of people who are not quite ready for that presentation yet. And what we need to do is become expert conversationalists, which, by the way, is quite a challenge for a lot of us. And so that's why I want to talk today, is how do we make um, the gospel more of a conversation and to interact with people in a gradual way? One of the most important techniques or tools, or uh, I, I'm not sure the right word, um, is the use of questions, how to ask good questions, and how to respond to questions with questions, not necessarily with answers. I did a study uh, once of all of the different questions that people asked of Jesus and, I was, uh, and how he chose to answer. And in more than half of the time, he didn't give a, a straight answer, <laughs> at least not right away. Now, now, many times he did eventually, but his immediate response was not to answer a question with an answer, but to answer a question with a question. Um, uh, Jesus, is it lawful for us to heal on the Sabbath? He said, well, if you had an animal that fell into the ditch, wouldn't you pull it out? Or they said, um, is it okay for us to get a divorce? He said, what did Moses write? Or um, they, they said, um, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He said, well, let me see a coin. Whose face is on a coin? By the way, this is very Jewish, and it didn't seem all that surprising to me. Um, that's the way Jewish people talk to each other. We always answer questions with questions. Why shouldn't we? Okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> I remember conversations growing up. Grandma, how's the weather? How could the weather be in Florida, she said. Uncle Murray, how are you doing? Why do you ask? How's your family compared to who? Uh, it's just... So, uh, uh, you know, I used to do these seminars uh, for college students about how to witness to Jewish people, and I said, it's important to answer questions with questions, and people started coming up to me and saying more and more, you know, th th this is probably true not just with Jewish people. More and more in a skeptical age or when people need to think through this more, maybe more of engaging them in the answering process is better than just delivering an answer. Here, here's my favorite example. Um, uh, in Mark chapter 10, a man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember this? Now, if ever there was a setup for a gospel presentation, that was it, right? I mean, I can sometimes imagine the disciples going, take out the booklet. Um, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's come on, Jesus, let him have the four-point outline. Come on. What did Jesus do? He said, he said, why do you call me good? That's what Jesus did. He answered the question with a question. Now the disciples are going, he blew it. I mean, it was like, like a perfect setup. And, and like, why do you call me good? And then, he said, and then he makes it worse. No one is good except God alone. What, what's he doing? Is he trying to chase the guy away? Is this anti-evangelism? No, no. Now, you read the rest of that dialogue. The guy already thought he was good, right? When Jesus quoted just some of the commandments, what did the guy say? All these things I've kept since I was a youth. Can you think of anything more self-reliant than that? More arrogant than that? I love this. In Mark's account of it, he says, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. We would have been tempted to, to scorn him. Oh, yeah, right, sure, you've kept all those commandments. Uh-huh. No, Jesus looked at the man and loved him enough to get him unhooked from his own self-satisfaction. And he asked him a question, why do you call me good, to help him realize, oh, I mean, the man had to get to that painful place of, I'm, I'm not okay. N no one is. 
And so a dialogue, a question, can engage people in the thinking process. I think some people, not all, some people ask us questions about our faith and they're not really asking a real question. And they're at arms length and they're watching us squirm. And they're like, oh, go ahead, try to answer this one. Uh huh. I'm sorry. Maybe you don't have friends like this. <laughs> Do you? Uh, is it, oh, okay, good, good. I was afraid. I, I've been in Washington so long. It, you know, it's just kind of rubs off on you. So it's good for me to come to Pennsylvania every so often. You, you people are so nice and friendly. Um, I'm serious. It's delightful. I'm moving in. Uh, Calling my Pam, listen, uh, my wife, her name is Pam. My Pam, that's kind of, a, sorry. Someone said they were recording this. You may want to edit. You may want to edit, sorry. Uh, so when, when sometimes people ask us these questions and they're, they're, they're standoffish and they're just sort of watching, when we engage them in the answering process by asking a question, um, we may be helping them more, even though it may seem counterintuitive. So, let me try to prove this a little bit more to you from the scriptures, and then I'm going to offer some ideas about what this can sound like with the hope that it'll, it'll spark ideas um, uh, for your context and your setting. But take a look at Acts chapter 17. I want to look at the first five verses in Acts 17, and I'm trying to say that this conversational, dialogical, rabbinic, Socratic method of interacting with people is something that... Um, Jesus did. I'm, I hope I've convinced you of that, but I also want to say that Paul did it as well. Look at Acts 17, beginning in the first verse. There's a tremendous amount we can learn about evangelism by studying the different methods and ways the gospel was proclaimed in the book of Acts. And as I've already mentioned, um, it's different in different places. Uh, so here's one approach in Thessalonica, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Just quickly, I don't have time to really expand this as thoroughly as, as it needs to be, but just a few observations um, the first is, I want you to note that Paul went back to the same place three times or three weeks in a row. You see that on three Sabbath days he came? And so um, the point may be is that um, in this case and in our case many times, it's more of an ongoing process rather than a one-shot proclamation. Like Paul's, our evangelism might be more ongoing process rather than one-shot proclamation. The reason why I say this is a lot of evangelism strategies or things you may read um, sound like all I need to do is make this one presentation. There, I've done it. And there is a place for presentation, and there certainly is a place to call people to a decision. But in this case, at least, and in other cases, we may need to think, hmm, maybe it's, it's one step at a time. And that just is a different mindset. And so we need to ask God for wisdom of what's the thing to say 
now? What would be the thing that they need to hear now? What aspect of the gospel needs the most amount of clarifying for this person? And so, uh, I want to say that it's more of an ongoing process. Second thing, I want you to look at the verbs in this passage. It says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He explained. He proved. Some of the people were persuaded. He said this, Jesus, I am proclaiming to you. Proclaiming is, is the one that we're most familiar with of just stating it. But these other words have much more of a dialogue kind of two-way thing, reasoning with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving. So again, our evangelism like Paul's here may be more dialogue than just declaring, maybe more of a back and forth kind of thing. Um, that first phrase, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Isn't that a beautiful uh, picture of Paul's role of reasoning, intellect, uh, rational arguments, reasoning from the scriptures. This is what God says. It's very, very important for us to include quotes of the Bible in our conversations with people. But I hope you won't think that just, just, just quoting Bible verses is sufficient. Please hear me carefully. I'm not saying that the Bible isn't powerful. It's amazingly powerful. But Paul used reasoning alongside of this. Jesus did too, and so we need to have both. We need to know our scripture so very well that we can quote it, but then we need to say to people, you know what, I, I think here's why uh, Jesus said what he said. At least here's my understanding of it. So um, it's more ongoing process, it's more dialogue. Um, third thing that we need to see about this is that um, uh, like Paul's, our evangelism might get mixed reviews. I thought that was a nice way to put it. Some people followed Jesus. Some people had a riot. I would say that was mixed reviews. Some people will say, this is great. Other people will say, shut up. And we shouldn't be surprised by it, right? Everywhere Paul went, that's what happened. Some people followed him, became believers. Other people tried to kill him. Everywhere Jesus went, some people said, he's the Messiah. We'll drop our fishing nets. We'll follow him anywhere. Other people said, he's demon-possessed. Can you imagine such mixed reviews? He's God. He's the devil. I, I can't get further apart. And so, so we shouldn't be surprised that some people think our message is, is one of the best things they've ever heard. It's almost too good to be true. They go, wait a minute, are you saying? And other people go, <laughs> yeah, right. And here's why, fourth point. Um, for many, many people, they need to hear that the, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. And I, and I attach that to just two little words that it is very easy just to fly past. It says here that Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, explaining and proving, here it is, that the Christ had to suffer, had to. Uh, another translation says it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. Think about that. Again, we, we hear it so much that it kind of flies by. We don't, we don't even hear it. Um, uh, the Messiah had to die. That's how bad your sin is. Um, maybe it's best to try to come at it from another angle. Um, it would not have been enough for the Messiah just to come and teach us how to live. Now, he did teach us how to live, and he gave us the best sermons ever. The, the problem is none of us can do it. Or, come at another angle, um, it would not be enough for the Messiah just to give us an example to follow. He, he did give us an example to follow. I'm, I'm not opposed to WWJD bracelets. Those are probably not a thing anymore, are they? Anybody? Uh, what would Jesus do? You know those bracelets? You're, you're looking at me with blank 
Okay, what would Jesus do? People wore these bracelets. I, I never put one on. It was too convicting. Um, what would Jesus do? I, there's so many times where I know exactly what Jesus would do. I don't want to do that. Like, oh, get, get rid of that bracelet. Uh, what would Jesus do? I, I'm always in, uh, Jesus would turn the other cheek. Huh, I'd like to do something else with that guy's cheek. Um, maybe I shouldn't be so honest. They don't know me yet. Oh, well, too late. <laughs> the doors are locked. Can't leave. Uh, but we, we need more than lessons, and we need more than an example. We, we, we need a rebirth. We need to die and come back to life. We need a Savior who dies for our sins. That's how bad our sin is. And when people smell that or sense that in our message, some people want to start a riot. Bad news before it's good news. But for the people who do believe that, who do receive it, it's the most wonderful thing in the world, isn't it? That's why you're here on a Saturday morning. Because at some point, you came to this point of, my sin is so bad, I, it needs a cross. It doesn't just need self-improvement. It doesn't just need rules to follow. I can't follow those rules. I, 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 I am uh, perfectly suited for God to pour his wrath out on me. That's how bad my sin is. And then to hear he poured his wrath out on his son instead of me. Um, we've got to find a way to remind ourselves of the gospel so that every so often it takes our breath away. It has to seem just overwhelmingly beautiful. I deserve to go to hell. Jesus took the punishment so that I don't have to. We've got to preach it to ourselves so regularly, so often, um, so that when we tell others what they hear in our tone of voice, what they see on our facial expression is not just that we believe it and that we believe it's true, yes, and that we could answer questions and we could give reasons for why we believe it, yes, all of that, but there's also a sense from us of, I, 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 I think it's just amazing. I, I'm, I'm humbled by it and I'm humbled by it and emboldened at the same time. There's so much... Um, uh, animosity in our culture right now. When people disagree, the only way they can seem to disagree is with sarcasm and meanness. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we would be a people who, when we're telling people something that we want them to understand, that it comes across with a sense of respect and, and um, concern and, and, and amazement and delight and joy instead of anger and bitterness. Um, we, we, we need, we need a, uh, a revival in our country, uh, beginning with God's people so that we would proclaim the gospel with, with wonder rather than arrogance. Um, I, I, I want to dwell on this a little bit because I'm, I'm deeply disturbed by it. And it's not just because I live right near Washington, although that doesn't help. Um, but um, not too long ago when I was with Campus Crusade, I, I got a phone call from uh, a traveling evangelist who was not with Campus Crusade, but uh, someone on his own, um, and, and he traveled around the country debating atheists. He would come to the college campus, and what we would do is we would set up an evening of a debate. Um, the Christian would debate, and, and you'd find someone on the faculty who was an atheist who'd be willing to debate the atheist. And the person on the phone told me um, that this guy's really, really good because when he debates atheists, he kills them. That's what they said. He kills them. 
At which point I thought, that, that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, that, 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 that's against the law where we come from. Uh, so I, 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 I said maybe perhaps some other time. Um, uh, we've had a long period uh, where, where Christians have been convinced that they can kill atheists or they can defeat them or we've got better arguments and we've been arrogant. And, and now I think we're finding, you know, that, that really hasn't worked all that well. And so what we need is a, uh, uh, a, a boldness tempered by gospel humility and to tell people, listen, I, I just think this is really good news. I think it's really great. So those are some input, I hope, from the scriptures. Let me give you a couple of ideas of what I think this sounds like. And again, my, my hope is that this will just give you, this will just spark some ideas in your mind of here's how I could perhaps have a conversation with people about this. So I'm going to give you four um, ideas to consider and four questions to ask. And, and again, these aren't like the most important four. Um, I'm hoping what this does is sparks in your mind another 20. Okay, you ready? So uh, the way I'll do it is a, an idea to consider and a question to ask. So the first idea to consider is that many people are not even awake. Many people, when, when it comes to spiritual things, they're, just, they're not even awake. They're not thinking about it at all. Um, we live in a culture that's got lots and lots of distractions and entertainment and things to keep us busy. So we never have to think seriously about anything. Isn't that wonderful? No, it's terrible. But um, so, so, so some people are just not thinking at all about spiritual things. And our task is to ask a question that wakes them up. So, for example, people may say some things like, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe anything you want. As long as it works for you, I'm happy for you. It doesn't matter. Believe anything. Well, um, that's not very good. <laughs> um, but but um, and, and so so Christians very often pounce on that. No, you can't do that. Um, uh, you, no, that's terrible. And 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 so out comes the pulpit. And out, yeah. Um, I, I think a question is better. If people say you can believe anything you want, I think a question to ask. You may want to write this down. Is really? That's it. That's the whole thing. Um, you real well. All right. Oh, do you really think so? Do you really believe that? By the way, this, this could be one to practice. Again, maybe this is only me, but it could come across really. Uh, so tone of voice is important. Really? Do, do you really think it's okay to believe anything? Is it really okay to believe anything? You know, like not all that long ago, there was this religious group out in California that believed that when a certain comet went by that they should all kill themselves. I'm not making this up. Do you remember this story? Um, and, and, and they did. Uh, there was sort of this mass suicide. You, you, don't, you don't think that's okay, do you? Or maybe in more recent history, there were some people who some people think were religiously motivated and they um, crashed planes into buildings. You don't, you don't think that kind of religion is okay, do you? do you? Do you really think it's okay to believe anything? And all you're trying to do is start a conversation with someone who hasn't really thought about it at all. And by the way, um, this may not be pleasant for them. Nobody likes to be awakened, do they? Um, by the way, I, it, you heard me say that I, I work with the C.S. Lewis Institute, so by contract, I have to quote Lewis every time I speak. So here's the obligatory required C.S. Lewis quote. Good, you're laughing. I was kidding. It's just a joke. It's not that kind of group. But I do like Lewis. Um, um, have you read his, uh, the Screwtape Letters? 
Um, okay, good. So those of you who haven't read it, uh, it's supposedly one demon talking to another one about how to mess up a Christian. So everything is upside down in the book. When a demon says, here's what you want to do, it's like, no, no, that's the exact opposite. So in the very first letter, um, um, uh, Screwtape writing to his trainee, Wormwood, he says, it sounds as if you suppose that argument was the way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. The enemy is God. Well, that, that might have been so if he had lived a few centuries earlier. At that time, the human still knew pretty well when a thing was proved and when it was not. If it was proved, they really believed it. They still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as the result of a chain of reasoning. But what? <laughs> With the weekly press and other such weapons, we have largely altered that. Your man has become accustomed ever since he was a boy to having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless. Here, here's the, the line. Jargon, not argument, is the best ally to keep him away from the church. The trouble with argument is that it moves the whole struggle onto the enemy's own ground. Sometimes the best pre-evangelistic strategy is to ask a question just to awaken in someone the ability to think rationally and to have a healthy kind of dialogue. And really, do you really think that? Do you really believe that is a good way to go forward? All right, so the first is some people aren't awake and the question is really. The second one is um, some things just can't be true. Some things just cannot be true. And, and people say things that won't stand up to investigation. Now, this is similar to the first point, but when people say, you know, I think all religions are basically the same. You've heard this, right? This is very popular. I think all religions are same. They're, ju they're just different paths up the same mountain. All right, well, you don't need a degree in comparative religion to know that just won't work. I mean, you, you, you get one of those charts. Do you know those charts? Maybe they have them in the, the bookstores. These are good. Different charts where uh, you have columns about uh, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and then what those uh, religions teach about God, about people, about sin, and there's contradictions all over the place. By the way, I don't recommend these charts for evangelism. Um, when someone says, I think all religions are the same. No, no, I happen to have a chart right here. Look. <laughs> contradictions all over the place. Here, let me, let me just point out two of my favorites. I mean, no, that's not the way to do it. They're good charts for your understanding of different religions. But when people say, I think all religions are basically the same, we need to ask them a question to help get them set free from something that cannot possibly be true. And a question that I very often like to ask is, can you explain that to me? Now, do you see what I'm doing? Very often, we as Christians accept a defensive posture. And very often, we need to be on that. So I'm not opposed to that. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give a defense. So, so yes, sometimes we accept a defensive posture, but sometimes we put them on the defensive. We need to do it gently, kindly. Um, some of us need help even with our tone of voice. Um, but we need to be able to ask, well, can you explain that to me? I, I, I don't see how that can be true. Um, and so we need to ask them to defend their indefensible faith. By the way, that, that view about uh, they're all different uh, paths up the same mountain, 
It's a very, very popular image. I'm sure you know it. It, it was written in, in a religious studies textbook that is now probably the most popular religious studies textbook on university campuses. But there are several scholars now looking at that image and saying that's just not true. And the people who are critical of it aren't necessarily Christians or even people of any kind of religious belief at all. There's a professor up in, in uh, uh, Boston who wrote a whole book refuting that kind of thing. The book is called um, um, uh, God is Not One. <laughs> he, he argues that the, the major religions of the world contradict each other all over the place. He says it's just not accurate to say that there are different paths up the same mountain. He says they're not even on the same mountain. And again, his name is Stephen Prothero, if any of you want to go find out and read his academic critique of it. You probably don't need to, but you, it's good to know of his argument. He says that, that's just not being respectful to the different religions. If you say to a devout Muslim and an Orthodox Jewish person, oh, your religions are basically the same, both of them will say, I don't think you understand my religion. And so all we're trying to say is the popular kind of thing, ah, oh, they're all basically the same. Sometimes people modify it and say, well, well, um, they disagree with some of the you know, like insignificant things on the, on the ex external, but at their core, they're the same. No, 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 the people who hold those beliefs, they don't think those things are insignificant. So all we're trying to do is to say, can you explain that to me? And for many people, they will find that, that they can't. And by the way, I think that's a great lead-in to say, well, here's how I think Christianity is different. I'm not even arguing that it's better yet. I'll get to that. But here's how I think Christianity is different than Orthodox Judaism. Here's how I think it's different than devout Islam. I'm just saying it's different. And for some people, they need to get set free from, oh, they're basically the same too. Oh, I need to rethink this. Okay, so um, some people uh, are not awake. We should say, really? Some people believe things that aren't true. Can you explain that to me? Um, the, the next one's the most difficult, and that is um, some questions aren't sincere. Some questions aren't real questions, and you need to recognize when that's the case. Um, sometimes people ask questions, and they're not really asking a question. They're mocking you. They're making fun of you. They're insulting you. Are you telling me that everybody who disagrees with you is going to go to hell? Is that a real question? And Scripture um, implores us to recognize when someone's being foolish. Remember those two Proverbs right next to each other, Proverbs 26, uh, verses 4 and 5? Um, some people say they're, they're a contradiction. No, that's just different ways of looking at the same thing, which is very important in wisdom thinking. Um, so the first one says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. The other one is, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Sometimes people ask you a question, and you need to recognize when they're just being foolish, because if you just join them in their sarcasm or their attack, then, then you haven't helped and in fact, now you've become like him, and now we have two fools arguing. Or sometimes you need to answer a fool according to their folly as their folly deserves. Otherwise, they go away wise in their own eyes. If someone asks you a question, are you telling me that everybody who disagrees with you is going to go to hell, and they're not sincere, and you say, well, here, let me tell you what Jesus said in John 14, 6, and you explain it, whatever. It's not a real question, and you gave an answer that wasn't appropriate. They'll just go away wise in their own eyes, thinking, yep, that's what I thought. Christians are idiots. Now, by the way, sometimes people ask that question, and it's very sincere. So, wait a minute. Are you, are you telling me, are you, are you saying that um, if, if you don't 
agree with this, then you're going to go to hell. Totally different tone of voice, isn't it? Different way of asking the question. Now you want to quote John 14, 6 and say, here's why I think Jesus said he's the only way. That's why people who have followed him for hundreds of years say there is only one way. And then you can have a great conversation about it. But when they're being a fool, you need to be careful that you don't just join in their folly or uh, leave them wise in their own eyes. I can tell you're all really uncomfortable with this. It's at this point in my presentation, I always have to remind people I'm from New York and I'm Jewish. We, we don't have any problem with this at all. Um, but for Pennsylvania Gentile, this might seem a little uh, difficult. Just got like 10 degrees hotter in the room, didn't it? So here, let me, um, um, let me tell you that um, Jesus modeled this for us on occasion. So I, I want you to figure out ways, how can you say this in ways that fit with who you are and the context in which you live? But remember, um, there's one place toward the end of the Gospels where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and people come up to him uh, in the temple, excuse me, and, and, and um, they say, um, uh, John's baptism. Um, oh, no, 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 that was Jesus' question. Their, their question to him is, by whose authority do you do this? And they were trying to trap him. By whose authority are you doing this? And Jesus said, well, let me ask you a question. See, there he was, avoiding their question, asking them a question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men, right? And so they go, uh, give us a minute. And they have a private chat. They go over it and they say, well, if we say it was from heaven, he's going to say, well, then why didn't you believe John? But if we say it was from just from people, we'll, we'll have a riot. That's a paraphrase, I know. Anyway, they come back. Remember this? They say, we don't know. And Jesus said, then neither will I answer your question. There are times when you need to say to someone, is that a real question? Uh, I mean, do you really want to talk about this, or do you just want to make fun of me? Again, you'll need to translate that, I understand. But when people attack you, you don't need to attack them back. You need to say, well, that, wait, I'm, I'm not, this doesn't sound like a real question. Are you really asking this? I, 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 I'd love to talk about it, but it sounds to me like you just want to make fun of me. Hmm. All right, so I need to tell a story. I could tell I haven't convinced you. So, um, uh, for years and years in campus ministry, I got hit with this question. Are you telling me that if you disagree with you, if we disagree with you, you're going to go to hell? And I always gave the theologically right answer, and it didn't work. And it was when I realized, you know, they're not asking a real question. So I brainstormed with some friends. How, what are some ways I can answer that? I remember having this great conversation with a friend of mine in Jewish evangelism ministry, chosen people ministries. And um, he said, why don't you try this? So he gave me an idea, and I thought, oh, next time this happens, I'm going to try this. So um, next time it happened, there I was. It was in a dorm room Bible study, and um, the, um, there was, um, uh, it was like this dorm where there were like four or five Christians on this side of the room and four or five atheists on this side of the room with Randy the Crusader in the middle. And um, uh, it was, uh, th this guy, we met in his room every week, and he was a Christian and he always told us about his roommate who was an atheist, but his roommate was never there. Well, one week, the atheist roommate came with four of his friends. And so here we are, you know, uh, the great divide. And at one point, this guy sitting right over here says, so are you telling me that everybody who disagrees with you guys is going to hell? And I thought, oh, wait, I, I brainstormed about this. By the way, brainstorming outside the situation is really a good idea because very few of us are brilliant on the spot. Um, somebody said to me, a, a fair critique of my book, uh, Questioning Evangelism, is that I made myself sound brilliant on the spot. And I said, well, that's a fair critique because I'm not. And, and I, the way I shared the stories 
probably was, you know, I did a lot more brainstorming outside, but then I thought I wanted to sell the book. So, um, so I told the story, making myself sound like I was brilliant. No, actually, it is a weakness of the book because it sounds like, oh, I got to have this stuff instant. We're much more likely to come up with good stuff outside of the situation, even in a small group, if you're part of like a community group in your church. Hey, um, here, this guy at work asked me this question. I didn't know what to say. What could I say? And get other people's input. All right, so there we are in the dorm room. This guy says, everybody disagrees. He's going to go to hell. I asked the question, do you believe in hell? That's a good question. And, and he went, no, I think it's ridiculous. I said, so why are you asking such a ridiculous question? That's probably the part that needs a little working. But um, <laughs> he, go, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, why do you care about what do we think about people going to hell if you think there's no such place as hell? Well, quickly, one of his atheist friends chimed in, I do believe in hell. I said, okay, do you think anybody's there? Is, is there anybody in hell? That's an important question for people to wrestle with. He finally, he was kind of, I don't know, I said, Hitler. Do you think Hitler's in hell? Yes. I said, good, we agree. Okay, it's good. I've always been amused that a Jewish guy would use Hitler. Never mind, sorry. Okay, so, <laughs> all right. So Hitler's in hell. Do you believe in heaven? Yeah, I think so. Is there anybody there? Yes. Okay, good. Who, who decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? You know what he said? He said, God. God. He was an atheist two seconds before. <laughs> I was tempted to say, sorry, you can't use that answer. <laughs> I thought, no, 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 this is good. This is good. We went from atheism to theism. I like the way this is moving. I said, okay, God, how does he decide? You know what he said? The Ten Commandments. Now he's an Orthodox Jew. <laughs> this is moving. This is good. I like this. All right, okay. I said, okay, Ten Commandments. By the way, that's a, that's a very common answer. People will say the Ten Commandments. All right. Okay, I like, I like those 10. Do you have to get them all right? I mean, because, I mean, I mean, some of them, murder. Okay, I never murdered anybody. But, you know, Jesus said that, you know, if you think really evil thoughts about someone, it's kind of like just as bad as murder. Um, and then what about coveting? I mean, so, I mean could, you, could you get in with like 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10? Does God grade on a curve? And, and then the whole dynamic changed because what started out as like, ah, oh, making fun of, it was like, wait a minute, we need to think about this. Uh, I said to them, I said, you know, I, I, I think the Ten Commandments are great, but I got to tell you, if, if, if getting into heaven is based on keeping the Ten Commandments, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to get there. Nobody. And then they didn't like that very much. I said, no, no, no. I mean, do you think Mother Teresa's? In oh, yeah, everybody thinks Mother Teresa. Well, you know, Mother Teresa thought she was terribly sinful. She did, and there, you could find quotes of her saying about how unworthy she was. She, she thought she was unworthy. If she thought so, I'm not, I'm not feeling too good about me right now. There needs to be a different system in getting into heaven other than keeping the Ten Commandments. And that's, when, that's when we got to tell about Jesus. Wonderful. Now, we didn't have any group conversion at that point, but for many, many people, they need to get unhooked from an impossible belief system, even if it starts with them asking a question that's not sincere. And all this means we need to become really good at conversation back and forth. By the way, I, I, some of you are probably feeling resistant. So what do they say if they, what do I do if they say things I just don't know how to respond? Some of the best pre-evangelistic words you can ever say are, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I got to think about that. Let me, let me get back to you on that. That's actually good. 
That shows a kind of humility, a kind of grace, a kind of respect for them. Boy, I just, I, 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 let me get back to you. That's really okay. So what I'm trying to say is this evangelism in our world today probably needs to be more of a series of ongoing conversations and dialogue with us doing a lot of asking the questions and letting people talk and then hearing what they say and hearing um, how they say things and, and what's behind their questions. So I said I had four points, but I ran out of time. So um, I, I want to start the next session with my fourth point, and that is um, sometimes a gradual approach is best, and I'll elaborate about that. But I, I want to, during this break, I want you to think about the people that God brought to mind and maybe others and pray for them. And as we're interacting with people, talk to them about um, uh, what are some ideas that you could say so that if people are not awake, how can I wake them up? Um, if people say things that are not true, how can I help them realize they're not true? And if people are not sincere, what ca how can I engage in a conversation to move them from mocking and foolishness to, hmm, maybe I need to consider this? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to take a break. I think um, we're going to hear some more instruction before the break. Or Okay, so you're going to get up. Okay, then I'm going to pray, and you're going to get up. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the way you brought people into our lives who asked us difficult questions or explained things to us or gave us something to read, that you made them bold enough to speak into our lives. Would you give us the boldness to speak into other people's lives? Um, we ask that you would use this morning's uh, time so that more and more people hear this wonderful good news. We pray all this in our Savior's name. Amen. Thanks. Andy. Let's just, uh, let's take a break now for half hour. Let's be back and, and ready to start the next session by 10.30. Again, there's more food and coffee and all that. Uh, thank you. Okay.